This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Nania. I am Michael Nania and doing things a little bit differently this time around. Scott Mason is not with us, so I'll be running the show solo. But we do have a really awesome guest here with us. One of the Jets, one of the best Jets minds on Twitter. Does some great work with the Stick to Football podcast at Bleach Report, especially with the NFL draft of Connor and Matt Miller do some of the best draft coverage out there. We got Connor Rogers here with us. Connor, thanks a lot for coming on to the Chronicles. Oh, no problem, dude. I appreciate you having me. What's going on? Uh, Not too much, but a lot with the Jets. We got a general manager hire here in mid-June, something we don't see all too often here in the NFL. But Joe Douglas is here with the Jets. He obviously had his introductory press conference a couple days ago. So, you know, with Joe Douglas, he's gotten a ton of praise, you know, across the entire league. The Jets have gotten for this move, bringing him in. So, you know, we generally hear a lot of praise for most new general manager hires, but Joe Douglas does seem, it seems different with Joe Douglas. This is a hire that has gotten tremendous, tremendous support from across the entire league. The Eagles put out an official statement thanking him. Howie Roseman commented on that one. Many of Douglas's former colleagues have been vocal in support of him. It, it really seems like the Jets were able to bring in a legitimately great mind to take this role. And Connor, you from the beginning of this process really voiced your support for Douglas as a great candidate for the job. And now that's coming to fruition, you've had a ton of praise for the move. So with of all the skills and traits, abilities, the connections that Joe Douglas brings to the table, all those positive attributes, what in particular do you think it is that really sets him apart from the rest of the pack as a truly great and high-level general manager candidate? Well, I think much like we've seen with Chris Ballard with the Colts, I think he's somebody that knows how to build a structure and really set the tone of the room. And I think a lot of that comes with really having the right people in that room. And I think Joe Douglas's hiring power across the NFL, it can't be understated enough. When you look at where he comes from, he was with the Baltimore Ravens under Ozzie Newsom for a very, very long time, a career there that spanned well over a decade. And he worked with a lot of brilliant people in that Baltimore tree. And, of course, with Eric DaCosta waiting in the wings there in Baltimore, a lot of good minds were going to, you know, really get set free because they knew they would never have the chance to be the GM there and they'd have to go somewhere else to climb the ranks. So that was, one of those guys was Douglas. And two of those guys came along with him to Philly. And I think there's a chance that one of the two or maybe both, if we're lucky, end up coming to the Jets. And, and those guys are Ian Cunningham, a director of college scouting, and Andy Wydell, one of the – really Douglas's right-hand man, the director of player personnel. So the, the point is here with Douglas, he has a hiring power that not a lot of people in the NFL do. He also has experience across the NFL that not a lot of people do. And when I say that, it's not just the college evaluations. It's the ability to get the right people doing the pro side of things. It's the ability to bring in an analytics team and use those numbers with your college evaluations the right way and really build a perspective in the building. So I think when you look at Douglas, you talk about the ultimate roster builder. And Mike McCagnan was somebody that seemed to be really good at building maybe the, the one through ten kind of guys. Go sign the big free agent. Draft well at the sixth overall pick. That kind of stuff is fine. Douglas is here to build out a 53-man roster and beyond. There's going to be a lot of competition in camp. There's going to be a lot of depth on this team within the next couple of years. I loved his quote at his press conference that said, the hunt for players never ends. And I think when you look at Douglas, 
he's really talented in that way. This is someone that ran the draft room in Philadelphia for Howie Roseman. So he's not coming into the Jets and sitting there and going, well, how am I going to execute my first draft? He's been there before. He's done it plenty of times. And he's done it for a team that beat the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl recently. So there's a lot to love about Douglas. But I think the thing that stands out the most for me is not only the structure and the people who'll hire, but how those people will construct a very talented football team. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Coming off of Mike McCagnan, getting having a general manager who could consistently get some productivity past the beyond the first round of the draft would be a huge help for building some consistency with this team. And the first move that Douglas did make, or at least after he was hired, was cutting Neil Sterling to make room for Bilal Powell to come back. So Bilal Powell, it, it's going to be interesting to see where he's going to fit into this team because the Jets have such a deep running back room now with Le'Veon Bell, Ty Montgomery, Elijah McGuire. Trent Cannon still in there, and now you add Powell. So a lot of competition there for Powell. But for me, what I think one of Powell's most underrated traits, especially last year, was his pass protection. For I had Powell giving up only one pressure in pass protection over 17 snaps, and especially compared to the rest of the backs in that running back room. Isaiah Carell, I had giving up three sacks, two hits, and six pressures across 22 snaps. Trent Cannon, four pressures and nine snaps. Elijah McGuire, one sack and six pressures in 29 snaps. So Bob Powell's pass protection, I think, is a really underrated aspect of his game. But looking at him against, especially with this deep running back room the Jets have now, how do you see Powell fitting in to this running back competition? And do you think there is a spot for him, a potential road for him to get a spot on the week one roster? I really do. I think Adam Gase is a big fan of Bilal Powell. I think when it comes down to it, they don't want to burn Le'Veon Bell out. Now, they are they gave Bell big money because really his best uh, best aspect of his game is that he's a three-down player where the offense never really gives anything away because of how good of a receiver he is, how good of a runner he is, and how good he is in pass protection. I think they see Bilal Powell maybe as the light version of that where if he's healthy, if he, and he said it himself, because I'm not in perfect shape right now, but I'm going to get back. He, he's cleared. If he's the Bilal Powell of old, that's the one-two punch you want. I like Ty Montgomery. I like the things you could do with him on the field. You can motion him out in the slot. You can use him really as an outside runner if you need to. I don't think they'll be put in that spot often. Another thing to remember here is 
for the flashes of Elijah McGuire. Him and Trent Cannon are not Joe Douglas's picks. So they're going to have to show a lot in camp. And I simply don't think either of those guys are better football players than Bilal Powell. So I, I do like – I think Ty Montgomery is here to stay. But I think you look at that, those three running backs, assuming they keep them, Bell, Powell, and Montgomery, you're looking at maybe two running back sets where they're true pass catchers. And I think what you're going to see from Gase, maybe because of this offensive line, maybe just because it's what he wants to do, I think you're going to see the quick passing game at times where – they're going to get the backs involved in the flats. They're going to get them working in the screen game. They might motion them out in the slot and run slants with them. We've seen Bell do this in the past. You're going to see quick passes to Crowder and Inunua, who can create after the catch. And, of course, Anderson deep. And, of course, the tight end. So the running backs, versatility is the name of the game for Adam Gase. That's what he wants in them. And I think Paul Powell has quietly been one of the better, more versatile running backs, especially on third downs in the NFL these past couple of years. So. And once again, if he's healthy, he should stick. Yeah, and if there's one constant across all five of these guys, it's it's their their ability to contribute in the passing game. Obviously, we know what Bell can do. You just talked about Powell, his pass protection, and his ability as a receiver is great. Ty Montgomery, a converted wide receiver. And you have Elijah McGuire and Trenton Cannon, two guys who have struggled in the run game over their early careers but have shown some flashes in the passing game. And, and speaking of the passing game, looking at the Jets' defense now, Marcus May is a guy who you and I have discussed a little bit recently. And, you know, I kind of think he's one of the more underrated players on the team. Obviously, he was out for much of last year, so didn't get as much attention, especially with Jamal Adams really stealing the spotlight back there with the phenomenal season that he had. But I thought he really looked improved in the games he was healthy last year. I had him only giving up three catches for 26 yards and one first down in the six games he played last year compared to 2017 when he gave up 15 catches for 209 yards and four first downs or four touchdowns and nine first downs in 2017, his rookie year. So I thought he looked much improved. The Jets, in the games he was healthy, they did a pretty good job limiting the deep plays. In the six games he played, the Jets only gave up 10 deep passes of 20-plus yards, which would put them on pace for the seventh fewest in the league that season compared to 2017 when they gave up 36 deep passes of 20-plus yards, which would be bottom five in the league. So I thought Marcus May did have an improved season last year in the limited time that he was healthy. So what are your thoughts on Marcus May? How good do you think he can be if he's healthy? And especially next to Jamal Adams, where can this safety duo rank rest, uh, relative to the rest of the league if both of these guys are healthy and at the top of their games? I mean, I loved Marcus May coming out of Florida. You talk about a really smart player, a high IQ player, a good tackler, always knows where to be in coverage. And I think that's the perfect counterpart to Jamal Adams. I mean, these guys can play multiple roles, whether it's covering the slot, playing down in the box, blitzing, single high, cover shell. They can do so many different things well, these guys. And I think May has a really good nose for the ball that is kind of underrated and why he's desperately needed back on the field. If you want to talk about someone that should lead this team with turnovers, more importantly, interceptions this year, I look at Marcus May because he's the guy that helps the corners in coverage and is always at the right place at the right time. So uh, and he, he frees up Jamal Adams to do more things underneath. And I, I think Marcus May has been very, very good when he's on the field. He's gotten a rap as somebody that is hurt all the time. I think it's a little unfair at times. I mean, he played his entire rookie season. He was banged up last year. It almost felt like he was rushed back at times. And then I think he honestly was just shut down at the end of the season because they knew the team wasn't going anywhere and they didn't want to risk this affecting his 2019 season. So I have high expectations for him this year. I think he's kind of the glue guy on the back end of the defense that 
it really, you know, minimizes the big plays this unit gives up with how, uh, you know, underwhelming the cornerback group is looking, they're going to need him back there. So I'm, I'm really with you on this, Michael. I think when you look at May, he's somebody that went on the field, he's making a huge difference in that secondary. And you talk about going into year three, the kind of impact he should have. It should be a tremendous one. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You mentioned the cornerback group and some of the question marks there. And obviously the guy at the top of the cornerback group is Tremaine Johnson. And I really see him as the biggest X factor on defense this year. You're talking about a guy who last year really struggled and kind of brought the team down when he was out there. But, you know, in the past has been a really solid corner at his best when he was in Los Angeles and St. Louis with the Rams. Some of that time with Greg Williams as well. So, you know, and we talked about Marcus May, how there was kind of a positive correlation with when he was out there in the Jets limiting those big plays. But Tremaine Johnson was kind of the opposite. He played 10 games last year, missed six. And in the, the games that Johnson played, the Jets were generally not as good defensively, and they did give up more big plays. So in the games Johnson did play last year, the Jets gave up 22 20-plus yard gains on short passes, which would be the which would put them on pace for the most in the league by a wide margin. And the, in the games he missed, they only gave up five 20-plus yard gains on short passes, which would pace them for the top five fewest in the league. And I really think that kind of matches up with what you saw from Johnson on film last year because I think he was playing awful lot. He got beat. He got beat deep early a few times in the beginning of the season. Then he started to play off and kind of give up a lot of in-breaking stuff you know, towards the middle of the field, and those would turn into big gains. So what do you think went wrong for Tremaine Johnson last year? How do you think he can fix those issues? And what do you think the chances are that he can return to playing corner at the level he was with the Rams? Well, I think at times he, he just looked like he didn't have his legs underneath him. He really looked slow in one-on-one coverage, and that's always a fear now. When you look at what True does, I think he's somebody that can jam at the line, and he actually has pretty good hands to take away the football. So you want him being physical at the line of scrimmage. Greg should really have him playing press coverage right up in the face of guys. If you sit him off, he's going to get beat. If he doesn't get his hands on you, he's very susceptible to you know being as simply outrun, whether it's over the middle of the field, whether it's deep at times. I think something that you noticed and I noticed, Michael, is that at times he was beat over the top and the quarterbacks just didn't deliver the ball to the wide receivers and he got really lucky at times. So – is he going to need safety help? I mean, all these corners, you could argue, might need safety help. But I, you, you, I think when he got that money, he was expected to be a true shutdown number one corner. I don't see that kind of player right now. I really don't. I think he's more of a number two corner that is plugged into a number one corner role. They're going to have to get creative. They're going to have to, more importantly, get home up front and attack the quarterbacks because – if, if True could do anything, he could disrupt routes and read the quarterbacks. I think it's something we saw him do against the Lions last year at times. So that's what his specialty is. And I think, once again, they have to really create a lot of pressure because if you leave him on an island for too long, like many big press corners in this league, he's, you know, receivers are simply going to blow by him with his lack of speed. 
Yeah, and, and you mentioned some of the luck that he had last year with at times where, especially deep, where quarterbacks just missed on throws. I actually had him last year having eight plays in which he was beat and should have given up a first down but was lucky due to a drop or a bad throw. And that was tied with Morris Claiborne for the most on the team. And, of course, given that Claiborne played more games, it kind of makes Johnson the most susceptible player to having lucky plays last year based on mistakes by the offense. But following up on Tremaine Johnson, so – you talked about how when he got that deal, the Jets were expecting him to be that shutdown corner. But when he was at his peak with the Rams in Los Angeles, in St. Louis, where do you think he was at his best? Do you think he was ever in that top 10 to 15 kind of range relative to the rest of the league? Yeah, I think top 10 to 15 is fair. I don't think he was ever top five. He was never on a Patrick Peterson, Richard Sherman kind of level. He's not that guy. Slay in Detroit has been very, very good for three to four years now. He's never really been that kind of guy. So I think when you look at True, he's a good player. He's an above-average starter. I think corner gets scary when guys get closer to 30. I don't think he's necessarily a long-term part of this defense. That contract was structured where it wasn't a five-year deal. It was really a -a two-and-a-half-year kind of deal. So it's going to be interesting with True. You'd love to see him have a bounce-back year under Greg. I think even if you got average corner play out of him, it would be considered a win at this point. And at that point, you can really see Joe Douglas rehauling this corner group in the secondary quite soon. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. The wide receiver room, the Jets obviously made some big moves there in the offseason. They signed Jameson Crowder, re-signed Quincy Nunwa. And to talk about Crowder, I really wanted the Jets to sign a slot guy entering the offseason. And Crowder was my favorite target for them. So I was really glad to see when they picked him up. And what he brings to the table is really unique. He's a guy who can make plays in the after the catch game. He could has a really unique ability to make plays down the field as a slot guy. He can get up the seam and make some big plays, more than most other slot receivers do. So what do you think of the impact that Jameson Crowder can make for this offense this year? I mean, he's lightning quick. The most important thing with him is that staying healthy. I thought he was the best slot receiver, or at least the most talented slot receiver on the market. The money the Jets gave him obviously proves that a lot of teams probably in the bidding agreed with that. It was interesting. When Crowder was coming out of college, I actually believe I comped him to Jeremy Curley at the time. And Crowder has looked so much faster and quicker at the NFL level that uh, it's, it surprised me. It really did. It's one of those where you go back and Curly had his moments where underneath he was very sharp, very quick. But I've seen more juice out of Crowder to win over the top where that's where he could be a difference maker in this offense. And I know they want to use him underneath. They want quick separation. They want timing concepts with him and Sam Darnold. But He's very underrated going over the top. I think he's much quicker than I ever expected him to be. That deep speed at the next level, you can really see him turn up fields with the ball in his hands. So targets-wise, we've seen Darnold really rely on these guys, like a binky at times, whether it's Herndon underneath. I think Crowder is going to be the same way. It's going to be very similar to when Darnold played with Deontay Burnett at USC. Burnett obviously with the Jets now. But if you go back and watch their time at USC where the volume was much higher for Burnett. 
I think you're going to see a very, very comparable situation with the addition of Crowder here now. Yeah, and, and with Crowder, there were a lot of good, solid options in the wide receiver market and free agency. There were no stars, but there were a lot of guys on a similar talent level. And, you know, a guy like Adam Humphreys or uh, Cole Beasley, who went to the Bills, guys like that, I, those were solid options, guys who you can rely on in the underneath game, who have great hands, tough over the middle. But I don't think any of them really bought, brought the upside to the table that Crowder does as a big play threat with what he can do down the field. And just when you compare some of his production to – other players in the league who have done similar things to what he has done. And there are some great names with him. So he's averaged 11.9 yards per reception on a 67% catch rate in his career. And the only other receivers since 2015 with at least 300 targets to average those numbers are Tyreek Hill, Keenan Allen, Doug Baldwin, and Adam Thielen. So obviously Crowder is not as good as those guys, but it just goes to show how he, as a slot guy, has that unique ability to get deep, like you mentioned. So bouncing off of Crowder, I want to talk about a guy who, I think the addition of Crowder really affects in what I hope is a positive way, and that's Quincy Nunwa. So one of the biggest reasons I wanted the Jets to add a slot receiver is that I thought they need somebody who's comfortable in that role so Quincy Nunwa can transition to a more predominantly outside role that will allow him to get vertical more often and lessen the beating he has to take on underneath plays because of how injury-prone he's proven to be, just to kind of keep him a little bit healthier. So I think having Crowder will help help limit that injury risk placed upon Anunwa and really allow him to spend more time utilizing one of his best talents, which is the deep game. And he is really, really good down the field in 2016. And I don't think we saw enough of that in 2018. So in 2016, he caught 16 post or go routes for 426 yards, which is just really good production. And in 2018, he only caught one vertical route for 41 yards. So a huge dip. So I really think having Crowder is going to allow us to see more of a Nunwa down the field this season, utilizing that elite straight line speed that he has, that highlight-worthy acrobatic catch skill that he flashes now and then. So what kind of an impact do you think the addition of Crowder is going to have on Anunwa's role? And overall, how would you like to see Adam Gase utilize Anunwa's skill set? Well, I think if anything, it's almost the, the opposite impact where Anderson being here along with Anunwa kind of impacts Crowder's career because there's so much space underneath. I think the teams are going to clear out for Robbie Anderson. I think word is out that he's one of the most, if not the most, dangerous vertical threat in the NFL. And when I say that, I don't mean he's better than A.B. or Odell Beckham or anything like that. I just mean you talk about pure straight line speed. The guy has it. And I think with a quarterback like Sam Donald in place, you might actually see a lot more of the production now in the stat sheet as we saw at the end of last year. So Crowder coming in, it's going to be interesting because I don't think teams are going to key in on him early. I think teams are going to key in on Anderson and Bell, and Crowder is going to eat up all these seven to nine yard catches. Now, now where you like it to get, you know, to help in the future is when Crowder is the guy that is being seeing all this volume, teams might shade a safety to him they might shade a big nickel to him which we've seen you know obviously become very popular in the NFL you might see more linebacker attention that opens up more space for Bell that opens up more space possibly in the middle of the field for Anunwa who like you said is so good after the catch we know what Bell can do after the catch so you like all these effects on one another where you look at this offense and it's getting no love in the national media it's very bizarre to me because Adam Gase never had an offense like this in Miami. There are people that believe Sam Darnold has top 10 quarterback talent. And if he could take the strides to get anything close to that this year, you would imagine things are really going to click with what they have on the field. So I love the addition of Crowder because they needed a number three wide receiver really badly. And, and he might be one of the better ones in the NFL 
at creating space and getting open. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I think a good comparison that comes to mind for me, the Jets offense, is what the Rams have in L.A. So maybe not the same talent level, but just when you look at a team that doesn't, might not have that number one guy, that Odell, that A.B., that Julio kind of receiver, but has a lot of guys, a lot of different guys who have skill sets that complement each other really well and obviously highlighted by a superstar back in the backfield with Todd Gurley with the Rams and Le'Veon Bell with the Jets. So what do you think of that comparison? Yeah, I mean, that's what you, you would really hope to have, I think, most importantly. That's the goal here. Now, this unit, to me, still looks like it's lacking the, the number one. And I always say this to people. A lot of people are upset that Jeff don't have what's viewed as a number one target. I think when you look at this unit, most importantly, it, a lot of units don't have a Julio Jones, an Odell Beckham, an Antonio Brown, that kind of thing. Now, they want to be a unit that can attack you with six different pass catchers. You know Anderson's going to get his shots over the top, and he's really expanded his route tree. You know Noon was going to get his manufactured touches because what he could do with the ball in his hands. You know Crowder's going to be a focal point of the offense. Bell is going to see a ton of targets. That's your four guys right there. But you look at what Herndon did last year when he's back on the field after his expected suspension. He's going to be involved as, a, as really a guy that can move the chains. You have to wonder what Wesco's going to offer as the second tight end. Gase really likes the second tight end. And then what Bilal Powell are we going to get? So that's the name of the game for this Jets team. They don't want to come out and stare the defense in the face like a lot of offenses in the NFL will do and go, hey, there's our number one guy. You could dedicate all the resources to stop him or not. We're funneling the offense through him. They want to come out and go, hey, we've got six guys on the field that are going to see the football today. You could figure out which one you want to dedicate attention to, and we'll go to the other one. And that's where the IQ and the timing of Sam Darnold is so important in this offense and, and why I think we're going to find out real quick if he takes those next steps or not because everything is going to be predicated on timing and how fast he reads the field, how he sees things in front of him, which I think he will take really big strides this year. Yeah, and, and you brought up Chris Herndon as yet another guy in this offense that could be a higher, uh, an above-average pass-catching target. And what Herndon did last year as a rookie, you, you just don't see that often. Rookie tight ends really don't produce that much in the league. But over the second half of the year, he was one of the top 10, top 5 tight ends in the league in terms of receiving production. And I also thought he pass-protected really well throughout the season. Probably was the best pass-protecting tight end on the team. So what do you think of what Herndon can bring to the table? Can Does he have that kind of top five elite George Kittle, uh, Zach Ertz kind of upside. Do you think he has that in him? Or maybe is he just going to be a good player? Because just because when you look at his production, what he did over the second half last year, and you look at other rookies who have done, had similar production to what he had last year, he's with some really elite names, the Gronkowskis of the world and the other guys I just mentioned. So do you think he potentially has that in him? Well, I think top five is a little rich. Now, top five tight ends is fascinating to me because so much of it is really comes down to the offense they play in. Kittle and Ertz are great, great players, but look at the volume they get in those offenses, and it makes you realize that, you know, it's it's a perfect place for them to play, and it's not taking away from them because they're great, great players. But once again, Herndon is not going to see that kind of volume in this offense, and obviously you have guys like Kelsey and Gronk that have just been true game changers in the past. Jordan Reed was like that for a little bit. Vernon Davis has been like that in the past. Eric Ebron really took off in Indy last year. But you look at what Herndon could be, and he has top 10 tight end written all over him, and it's not, hey, let's search Chris Herndon, NFL.com. Okay, he caught five touchdowns for 500 yards. It is goes back to what you said. 
He's a great blocker. He can block in line. You can get him on the move as a blocker to help in the run game. He can really create yards, tough yards after the catch. He can high point the football. He's one of those guys where I watched a lot of that Miami team when he was down there, and that was a bad passing offense, and it really, really limited his numbers and ability. But if you go and watch the film, he was a great blocker. When he got his touches, he made the most of them. He did create yards after the catch. You see him at the NFL level, and it's like, okay, this is a supreme talent that is really finally playing with decent players around him, and I'm excited to see what he can do this year because, once again, you look at the tight end talent in the league and just the flashes Herndon had last year, you, it's, it'd be a little much to say top five, but I don't think – if he broke into the top 10 to 15 this year, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest bit. So before we finish up, I want to talk about one more tight end on the Jets roster who I don't think gets enough love, and that's the guy who they picked in this year's draft, Trevon Wesco. I mean, you look at his film, he's just a guy who I think, I think he's a really high floor kind of prospect, the guy who you pick, believing that there is a really good chance he's going to be a contributor for you. You look at his blocking ability, he's just a dominant blocker with what he can do, whether it's in line, out in space, he just has that ability as a blocker, the ability to punish people no matter what his role is. And as a pass catcher too, I don't think, Obviously, with Chris Herndon there, he's going to take most of the targets at that position, but he kind of has that ability with what we saw with Eric Tomlinson over the past couple of years, a guy who obviously is primarily a blocker, but every now and then is going to get out there and catch a pass when the defense isn't really expecting it. But I think Wesco has the kind of after-the-catch ability that would make him an upgrade in the same kind of pass-catching role that Eric Tomlinson had. Just look at some of the catches he made. He was making some plays in space with the ball. He's he's the heaviest tight end that was drafted this year, but his three-cone time, some of his agility drills were about middle of the pack. So, and I think that kind of showed when you saw him with the ball in his hands, just had some wiggle that you don't really expect out of a guy his size. So I, I think he's definitely a guy who could make an impact with this team right away and last for a while as a good role player, maybe take that Eric Tomlinson role to another level for the Jets. So what did you think of Trevon Wesco before he's drafted by the Jets and where do you see him fitting in this year? So I had him in my top 100 on my pre-draft ranking. So I was very, very high on the player. I thought he was easily a top tight end in this class, which when I released that, it turned some heads. But I spent some time with his head coach or former head coach at the time, Dana Holgerson at the Senior Bowl. And, we, you know, I asked Dana about him. And basically Dana was like, listen, he got better every year. He was very underrated because he was such a good blocker. But then you go look at his reps when we did throw him the football, and he was a very, very productive pass-catching tight end as well. So they loved him at West Virginia. They really, really did. He has all the makings of a guy that, like you said, high floor naturally translates at the next level because he's already so well-rounded in his blocking reps, and he has the raw ability to be a pass-catcher, not a Chris Herndon type, but somebody that can really catch underneath and turn up fields when you need him to. And it's not like Tomlinson where you stick him out in the field wide open and he drops the ball. That's not Wesco. So I really liked Wesco in this draft. This was a draft of an incredible amount of different tight ends. Some guys with high variance play, some guys with extremely high floor kind of play. When you look at TJ Hawkinson, he was one of those extremely high floor kind of guys, variance guys. You have Sternberger, Kahale Waring, even Noah Fant at times. All the upside in the world, but you have to wonder if they'll tap into it. Wesco was one of those guys with more of the higher floor, safe pick kind of players that can come in, be your second tight end, help you run the football, catch the ball if you need him to, high character kind of player. So 
it, it was a really smart pick by the Jets because they had to hit on more of these mid-rounders. And I think Wesco is going to be on the field right away this year. Oh, yeah, definitely hoping not to see any more Eric Tomlinson drops wide open near the line of scrimmage. Trevon Wesco is going to catch those. I know he is. So we could talk about the nuances of every little roster battle on the Jets endlessly, but I'll let you go from here, Connor. Thanks a lot for coming on and talking some Jets numbers here on the Chronicles. Oh, anytime, Michael. No problem, man. Have a good one. And that'll do it for this edition of the Chronicles of Nania. You can follow Connor on Twitter at Connor J. Rogers. Follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. Follow Play Like a Jet on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And thanks to Tom for listening in. I'll be doing some more episodes soon about Sam Darnold numbers, uh, his production by root type, number of blitzers, improvised production, drops, interceptable passes, a lot of awesome stuff on Sam Darnold. We'll be going back into uh, our draft series, looking at the best Jets draft picks of the century. So a lot of good stuff coming up. So make sure to stay tuned with the Chronicles, everything coming here on the Play Like a Jet podcast. So thanks a ton for listening in and we will talk again soon.